Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the CBS and Play It Network. And I am excited today because we have a great friend of mine, Josh Linkner, who started his career actually as a jazz guitarist. And I don't know if anybody knows this, but I also play guitar. Uh, I play a little bit of jazz, but I like what Eric Clapton once said about uh, jazz and blues. He says he'd rather play blues because jazz is its just too hard. Anyway, uh, he is the founder and the CEO of four tech companies, and he's also a deeply experienced business leader. He's a venture capitalist. He is an amazing keynote speaker. I've seen him speak a number of times. He really is awesome. And he is the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Disciplined Dreaming, which is about creativity, and The Road to Reinvention, which I think kind of follows up on the heels of his creativity book, uh, Disciplined Dreaming. And yes, he still plays an amazing, mean jazz guitar. I actually saw him last year up in Seattle where he presented. And uh, normally doesn't use the guitar in a program, but he did that night, and I'm really glad he did. Josh, it is great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Well, Shep, you're so gracious. Thank you. It's an honor to be uh, partnered here with you today and uh, really admire all the great work that you're doing, spreading uh, terrific insights and inspiration to the world. Well, thanks. You're too kind. <laughs> <laughs> as well. So let's start off. I always like to start off with, with a little background. So give us a little background on yourself, you know, and, and where you started. And you really do wear a number of hats. And I know I'm going to let you talk in a moment, but I remember when we first met, which was at a National Speakers Association meeting, and uh, but you started telling me about the work you did. I think it was uh, E-Prize uh, might have been the company you were involved with at the time. But now you're, you're a venture capitalist. You have amazing partners, one of which is Magic Johnson, which is a cool name to throw around every once in a while. But give us some background because you are a fascinating guy. Well, thank you. It's nice of you to say. Uh, I'm just a simple guy from Detroit. Uh, I was born in the city of Detroit, multi-generation Detroiter, uh, I started my first business when I was 13, and what was it? It was an illegal fireworks business where I would bring uh, a loaded backpack with a bunch of fireworks to school and, and, uh, and, and make some money, and, which was a good business, by the way. We had strong margins and, and wide distribution. Uh, unfortunately, I had a regulatory issue. Where, uh, <laughs> Just a little bit. Shut down, <laughs> shut down by my parents. But, Is there a um, statute anyway, of limitations? Like Is there a statute of limitations on the, uh, on the crime? Presumably, which is why I feel comfortable sharing it today. Oh, good. <laughs> but uh, uh, kidding aside, I, I've always liked creating things. That's what I do. I like creating things. And uh, I had the privilege to start studying jazz guitar at age 10. I'm now uh, 45, so I've been playing jazz guitar for 35 years. And uh, the thing I love about it is that it's spontaneous innovation. You're basically creating stuff in real time. And uh, that, to me, has been the theme really throughout my career. So I use that same jazz sense, which I, I put myself through college, you know, just a kid from Detroit, put myself through college playing jazz gigs, ended up starting a company when I was 20 and in, uh, in my college town. I started selling computers. I had assembled them in my college apartment and sell them out on campus. And uh, without giving you all the gory details, over the next 20 years, I started, built, and sold four technology companies, which had a combined exit value of over $200 million. Wow. And, uh, and then I just wanted to keep creating things. So I, I wrote, uh, as you pointed out, two books, which I'm, I'm very proud of, and not only based on my own experiences, but also having the chance to interview thought leaders from around the world. 
And uh, since then, we've been investing in companies here in the Detroit area mainly, trying to help rebuild Detroit through entrepreneurial fire. We're using entrepreneurship as a vehicle for social change. And while it, you know, we'll make some money, more importantly, we're going to make a difference. And it's very exciting to be part of the resurgence, the, the, uh, the renaissance that's happening here in Detroit, Michigan. I love hearing when people and companies are involved in building their community. There's lots of places you can donate money to and help support people, but I love it when we keep it close to home. And by the way, I'll define community as, you know, whether it's our, our city or our state, but, you know, you're talking about Detroit where you live. Um, and I know a little bit about, you know, one of your partners, Magic Johnson, having heard him speak about how he invested into businesses in urban America. Uh, and I love his Starbucks story. One day, hopefully, get him on the show and he can share that with our listeners. But basically, you know, he went to Howard Schultz and said he wants to put a bunch of Starbucks in the hood. And Howard Schultz says, what are you talking about? And he says, hey, and, and I, I don't mean if this, I hope this is an okay politically correct statement, but he said, and, and I almost quote verbatim, he said, black people drink coffee too. And I just love that, you know, Schultz got it and he said, okay, and it's very, very successful. And that's what you're doing right now. You're investing into your community. And I think that's cool. All right. New York Times bestselling book, The Road to Reinvention. That's your latest book. And you just briefly started to mention it. Tell us why it's important for people to think about reinventing themselves and how do they go about do it, doing it? Too often, companies and individuals fail because of a lack of reinvention. In other words, they're so busy clinging to what was, they don't get on with the hard work of creating something new. And you see this time and time again, you know, Blockbuster Video, Coca-Cola, Pan Am Airlines, Circuit City. And it's just a tragedy to me. And it, it goes, it, it, to me, it's personal. I gotta tell you, it's personal because behind those brands, there were real companies and real communities that were devastated because leaders squandered their opportunity. In other words, they became intoxicated by their own success and failed to, to to reinvent. So the book uh, not only reinforces why reinvention is important for both individuals and companies, but it lays out a roadmap to get you there. The word reinvention sometimes, by the way, is interchangeable with turnaround, but I think that's the wrong, uh, they're not a synonym. In other words, a turnaround usually is a response to a very negative situation, and it's, it's defined by, uh, you know, battening down the hatches and, and sticking to your knitting and cutting fat and all this stuff. But they don't drive progress. They basically only try to ensure survival, not to mention they rarely work. A reinvention is something very different, and they shouldn't be used interchangeably. To me, a reinvention is, in a perfect world, starting from a position of strength. When you've had a great quarter, instead of saying, well, you've cracked the code forever and, and this is going to last and last, you say, now that I'm in a position of strength is when I should be reinventing. I should be rewriting the next chapter of our future. The thing is that reinventions often are they can feel overwhelming. Someone might say, wow, you know, to reinvent my whole career, to reinvent my entire company and bet the farm, that feels scary and, 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 and intimidating. And what I try to demystify in the book is that it doesn't have to be. If you take a systematic approach of thinking of reinvention as an ongoing process rather than a once-a-decade type endeavor, it's much more manageable. And so the best practice really is isolating a certain aspect of yourself or your, your company reinventing that while everything else stays consistent so you're not having to take you know irresponsible risks once you get the benefit from that individual aspect that's been reinvented you then systematically move on to the next one so so the book lays out really a game plan of how to stay in a continuous state of reinvention 
but in a way that's approachable and doesn't feel overwhelming, something that's accessible to everybody. Right. So one of the concepts that I've heard, especially in my business, is you want to stay in your lane. You want to be known for doing something. You want to be uh, in that, you know, don't switch lanes and don't confuse your customers. And in my area, and, and it's about customer service. I'm a customer service and experience expert. That's what I do. That's what my books are about. And I've not wavered from that much. If anything, I just keep diving more and more into it and getting deeper and deeper and becoming more and more of an, uh, you know, I, I, I build on my expertise. I'll, I'll let the outside world determine whether or not I'm actually an expert. But here's my point. People have said, I've reinvented myself and I'm not exactly sure how I have, if ever done that. And the point I'm trying to make, it's not so much about me, but it's, it's I've been told, stay in your lane. How can you stay in your lane, get known for something, yet reinvent yourself at the same time? Is that a confusing question? No, not at all. And I'm glad you asked that because the word reinvention, again, is very often misunderstood. So if you, let's say, run an apparel company, you might say, well, to reinvent myself, I got to go start an auto business. And it doesn't have to be that extreme. So I, and, and Shep, having known you for many years, I agree that you've reinvented yourself. Now, you're still a, 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 the foremost customer service expert in the world, and that, that hasn't changed. But the manner in which you communicate, the lessons that you share, even the way that you, you market your own abilities to help, help companies, the very fact that we're doing the show together is, is, is an example of how you've reinvented various aspects of your work. So, uh, you know, an example is uh, Miles Davis. Uh, Miles Davis uh, was a jazz trumpet player. He started that way and ended that way. Yet at the same time, he had one of the most profound impacts in the field of jazz because he reinvented one genre to the next to the next. And in fact, reinvented five different genres of jazz. He was at the forefront of, of leadership in that field. So you don't have to quit your job and take on a totally different career. You can still stay, quote unquote, stay in the lane, but at the same time, reinvent the manner in which you conduct your business, the manner in which you serve your customers. So an apparel company that has a brick-and-mortar store, maybe a chain of stores, one day decides, you know what, I hear this online Internet thing is working for a bunch of companies. Maybe I'll check that out. And I stick my toe in the water, so to speak, and I create a website. That may be that one small aspect that you're talking about. And the website, I put a little shopping cart system on there so people can see some of our items and they start to buy. And then I expand on it when it works. This is, I think, what you were talking about before. And then one day I realized, hey, my online business has become bigger than my brick and mortar retail store business. I'm still selling the same items. I've just, as you might say, reinvented myself. That's a great example, and that's uh, the best work in this field isn't taking a, uh, a bet-it-all type approach. In fact, it's much more about experimentation. So using that example, it, let's say you got a little traction by putting a, a website together. Well, maybe you try 10 different or 100 different approaches in very controlled experiments, and then you start doubling down on the ones that work and discarding the ones that don't. So the reinvention doesn't have to be a roller coaster and you know, irresponsible and scary. It can be rather controlled. Uh, the other thing I cover in the book is that there are various aspects that you can reinvent in an organization. In other words, it doesn't have to be all at once. So, for example, if you think about a couple key categories, there's, of course, your product and service. There's your internal processes uh, and production systems and such. Mm -hmm. There's marketing and sales. There's your culture. There's your customer experience. There's, and, and it goes on. So there's you know, five or six, at least, big areas that are opportunistic for reinvention. So, for example, you might, as, as a customer ex, uh, service expert, you might say, I'm not going to reinvent anything except the experiences that I create for my customers. I'm going to focus for the next six months on reinventing experience. 
and you might isolate every single touch point that a customer has with you and then apply a five senses test. So what, what happens when they're on the phone with you? What does that sound like? What do you say? How do you interact with them? What's the overall experience that, that, that comes to life? What about when you're on stage in front of thousands of people? What's that experience? And you're, in, in other words, you're not reinventing your expertise, but you're reinventing simply one aspect. In this example, cus, uh, customer experience. So right. the best practice here is keep most things in, in, in check, reinvent one thing via a lot of controlled experiments. That's the way to reinvent early and often. Great ideas. We're talking with Josh Linkner. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio. We're going to take a really short break. Don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio on CBS and Play It, and I'm excited that we've been talking with Josh Linkner. We've learned a little bit about uh, innovation and reinvention and his excellent New York Times best-selling book, The Road to Reinvention. If you don't have it, you should get it. You can go to your favorite bookstore or maybe just go to Amazon.com. That's a really easy place to go to. And just uh, type in Josh Linkner, L-I-N-K-N-E-R. And not only will you find out information about that book, but you'll find out about his prior book as well, both New York Times bestsellers. Josh, you are working on something very exciting right now. It's brand new. It's called Fuel Leadership. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Thank you. So, uh, like you, I've had the chance to speak at so many business events. And, and events are really important in the business world. If you talk to most organizations, leadership development is priority number one. And further, it's, it's an opportunity to interact with, with colleagues, to, to network, to, to sell, to deepen customer relationships. So live business events are very important. The problem, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, is that most business events just stink. You're in some dimly lit hotel ballroom, and it's a couple good presenters and a lot of bad ones, and and the whole vibe is dreary, and, and you're just exhausted after going. So I thought to myself, what would it be like to start with a blank page and completely reimagine what a leadership event could be? So what we came up with is this idea of a fusion between a rock concert and a business conference. So think about Lollapalooza, or, or where you have a huge music festival with all these incredible performers all on the same stage. That's kind of like what we're doing with Fuel. So Fuel travels from city to city. Instead of folks having to travel to an event, the event really travels to you, to your hometown. So there's Fuel Detroit, there's Fuel Cleveland. Next year there'll be Fuel Atlanta, Fuel Minneapolis, Fuel Dallas. And these are single-day events in major markets that are of unprecedented quality and impact. So here in Detroit, we had, uh, we had Jessica Alba speak. We had the governor of the state of Michigan speak. We had Seth Godin speak. We had Magic Johnson. And the list goes on. So in each market, think of 12 rock star quality presenters of the highest caliber. And it's really the opportunity to sit down with them for the day and hear not only inspirational stories, but more importantly, their, inner, their, their inside secrets, their tips, their strategies. So if you attend a fuel event, you become transformed. And the next day, you're back at the office and you're performing better. Right. So it's an opportunity to uplift our attendees, uplift the communities in this crazy, over-the-top, rock-style vibe format. It's funny, when you go into most business conferences, the first thing you say is, where's the coffee? You walk into a fuel, the hair on the back of your neck rises, and you get a chill down your spine. 
as if you just went into a magical Broadway play. So it's a very emotionally charged, exciting way to advance yourself as a leader. All right, I want to go. I want to go. You did the one in Detroit. When's the next one? Well, coming up very soon, actually, September 30th in Cleveland, uh, we have an unbelievable lineup. We have David Stern, the former NBA commissioner. Uh-huh. We have Guy Kawasaki, Big a fantastic deal. author. Social media maven. Social media maven, and of course, he was right there with Steve Jobs when they launched the Macintosh. So right. He's got some great, great stories to tell. We have Jackie Joyner-Kersey, three-time Olympian, talking about peak performance. From my hometown, uh, have- St. Louis. Actually, she's from East St. Louis, which really isn't St. Louis, but it's close enough. <laughs> oh, very cool. Yep. Very cool. Uh, we have Alexandra Wilkes-Wilson, who is the co-founder of the $5 billion e-commerce site, Yilt Group. Uh, so the list goes on, and we're just so excited to bring this to, to Cleveland and other markets that, that don't often get this type of thing in their, in, their, in their city. And it's super efficient. Like, you come to the event, you have this amazing day, you, and you're home for dinner. You didn't have to travel anywhere. There's no overnight costs, no, no travel hassles. So are you marketing this to individuals, or is it mostly to companies to bring their sales force or or leadership team who who is it for it's mostly for companies who are then bringing either senior leaders or up-and-coming leaders many companies are using it for client entertaining the thinking is you can only take people to so many ball games and here's a chance to to bond instead of over uh over a, a touchdown it's to bond over thought leadership oh this is a um, great idea yeah there's individuals that come to though people people are you know in, investing in themselves Warren Buffett said there's no better investment than investing in yourself. It, it, it can easily pay a 10 times return. No one can take that investment away from you. And that's what fuel is. It's the most effective and efficient leadership growth opportunity on the planet. All right. So I'm going to ask you, uh, to, I mean, there are companies that go around and they go into arenas and they set up uh, uh, programs where they have motivational speakers. Uh, how does that differ from, uh, how does your program, Fuel, differ from those? Shep, I'm so glad you asked that. You know, there, unfortunately, they have these, these things that are a bait-and-switch out there, where some giant arena is filled up and with the promise to hear from Colin Powell, and he, he or Schwarzkopf or someone speaks for five minutes, gets off stage, and then some snake oil salesman comes on for, for 90 minutes, hawking you a get-rich-quick scheme. And, and I've been to these, by the way. I've right, I've been myself, to them as well. And, and they do have good speakers, but you're right. I think the primary reason they are doing what they're doing is to sell you something when some of the speakers, not the big-name speakers, but when some of those, uh, you use the word snake oil salesmen, uh, they have everybody from real estate experts to stock market experts who are going to show you how to make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And after they're done, I've watched what happens. People stand in long lines to buy product. So you are not doing that, apparently. We're not. I tell you, I went to one here in Detroit, and I felt like I needed a shower afterward. It was so, so kind of slimy. So we're the opposite. No one's selling a thing from the stage other than trying to help. I mean, the entire purpose is we're flying in the best thought leaders from around the world with the only objective of fueling the audience, to help them become better. So it's a, it's, a, it's a day of transformation and learning and insight. It is motivating, but it's not done in a cheesy motivational way. It's really done to help people grow, help them perform better. Right. That sounds great. That sounds great. And you mentioned some great speakers uh, that you had in Detroit. Did you, did you mention who's coming up in uh, Cleveland? Oh, yeah, you did. Yeah, David Stern and, and, and all those. And then after Cleveland, where are you going? Well, the, the lineup is going to be uh, pretty cool next year. So we're going to be, in, uh, I think, in Dallas in the end of February. We're going to be back in Detroit in April. 
will be Fuel Minneapolis will debut in June. We're looking at uh, Fuel Cleveland next year again in September, and then the following uh, November in Atlanta. All right, so we got to get you to St. Louis. We, we need do. we need we fuel do. here. We need a lot of fuel. <laughs> and these are these are annual events. So when we do come to St. Louis, because that is on our list, Jeff. But we'll, it'll be an annual event. So once we come there, it's not like one one year you're there, next year you're gone. Every year, once we're in a market, we're going to stay there. We're going to invest heavily to help fuel those communities. That's outstanding. And and I can imagine that if I've got a sales force or I've got a team, it's a great way to bring the team. And and I'm just going to make this suggestion uh, to the people that are listening. Uh, if, if you take your team to one of these fuel events, don't just take them and say, hey, it's over, let's go back to work. The next day or maybe that evening, spend time debriefing, go over the great takeaways. Uh, when I go to a conference and I take my team with me, I say every speaker has something to say, regardless of whether you enjoy them or not, whether you agree with them or not. There's something that you can take away. We're looking for at least the one gem from every speaker, and we come back and we share these gems, we analyze, and we decide what three to five are we going to put into use, and what's the timeline to do it, and we create a plan. So it's not just fuel, it's, it's uh, well, it, it does, it fuels not just the inside, it fuels the plan, it fuels the company. That, that's exactly right, and I'm glad you said that. A good way to think of it is, you know, these, these world-class thought leaders are sharing hundreds of those gems throughout the day, and all you need is one. I mean, all you need is one idea that could transform your, your career, your company, your community. And people sitting next to each other, you know, one person might gravitate toward one gem, the other one resonates a, a different gem, and that's okay. But there's no way that someone's going to walk out of there um, without a fresh perspective, without, without a whole handful of new approaches and ideas to put to use immediately. Well, great idea. So if you can get to Cleveland or get to any of the cities where you see uh, the fuel coming. By the way, what's the website? Fuel... What? Fuelleadership.com. Fuelleadership.com. All right, we're going to take a real short break. When we come back, I'm going to make Josh, during the break, we're going to talk about this, promise to give us some amazing takeaways that we can go back and use to be uh, more creative, to reinvent ourselves, and maybe to add fuel today at the end of this show so we can go out and be better. We'll be right back. This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Shep Hyken here. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. We're talking with Josh Linkner. He's shared with us ideas about reinvention, a little bit of a roadmap on how to do that. We've talked about his new program, Fuel Leadership. And now I want to talk about an article that I recently saw that Josh wrote. Uh, he wrote it in Forbes, as a matter of fact. And the article was titled, Customer Experience is the New Competitive Battlefront. Now, for those that are listening, you know that I am a customer service and experience expert. This is what I live and breathe. Josh, I want to hear your take on it and know exactly what you meant by that. Sure. Well, you think about uh, in the past, what, where do people compete? Back in the day when Henry Ford launched the Model T, you could get it in one color, black. So the whole concept around competitive advantage was only functionality. It didn't matter how it looked or felt or ergonomics or anything. It just did function, yes or no. Well, then things evolved. And now you don't want just a car that is, is basic. You want a car that's beautifully designed. So what happened is the next competitive battleground went from function, like Henry Ford, to design. And think about the products that you love today. You know, maybe it's your Apple products that are 
beautifully designed as well as functional, or the car that you drive. So now we're in a world where those are both expected in order to win, to be competitive. Well, what's happened is that in the same way that function just became the anti play, products have to, and you expect that they're good, design became the same thing. So now you just expect a product to be good and to be beautifully designed. So if you're trying to compete, and it's, of course, a fist-fighting competitive world out there, what's the next battlefront? Well, it's been said that the next battlefront of, of competitive advantage is customer experience. In other words, that's where the untapped opportunities exist. In fact, many companies are now hiring CXO officers, customer experience officers, who focus on all of the five senses, how do customers experience every touch point with the company, and are using that as a, as a mechanism to get ahead and to shine uh, against their competitors. Right. I think that there's a, a big difference between customer service and customer experience. It used to be years ago if somebody said, what's the definition of customer experience? People would give basically the definition of customer service, the way the customer is treated. But now it's experiential. It's what not only the way the customer is treated by the, the people they do business with, by the company, but it's also the way they feel, the, what they experience with the product. And you use Apple, and you've thrown their name out there a little bit uh, over this last half hour or so. And I think that's a great example because before you even turn on the product, you're opening up the box and you're going, wow, this is pretty cool. And I think what it's doing is it's justifying the money that you're investing into the product because not all Apple products are the most reason reasonably priced products compared to their competitors. So the experience has taken it to the next level. You know what's funny, too, and I think it's important for us all to know because often people refer to Apple as the you – know, poster child of innovation and probably the poster child of everything else. So I don't mind being a bit provocative because, I, and by the way, I'm an Apple fan. But um, I think they have a good a disconnect going on. And, and again, I'm a fan. But um, the experience that I have when I open this beautiful box and have this fantastic technology that works right the first time is wonderful. The experience that I have when I go into an Apple store is rather different. And it's funny, I wrote a piece a while back about this where there's this, it's inconsistent. In other words, you walk into an Apple store, and you have to wait in line to put your name in, and then you wait in another line. Then you're given a time for your appointment, but you can't leave the store because that wouldn't be allowed. And it's, it's just sort of rule and bureaucracy after one after the other. And I found the experience rather uh, dreadful, in fact. And it's funny to me that, I mean, I suppose it's heartening and that even you know the mighty Apple can, can learn and grow. But when you have a brand, if, if you have an experience that is inconsistent with the brand, it really can detract from a customer's overall perception. Of course, Apple conquers that in other ways, but as business people, we should all be thinking to ourselves, am I driving a consistent customer experience across all touch points of how people interact with my product and service? Right, and what you just described, what happens in the Apple store, and by the way, I experienced that because if my, my phone breaks, I don't want to have to go on the computer to set an appointment to go in. I just want to be able to walk in, wait in line if I have to wait in line, or you know, put my name on a list and tell me, come back in 45 minutes if that's what I have to do for my appointment. But you, know, you, you add these extra what I call friction points. These are points where the customer you know, rubs, is rubbed the wrong way, perhaps. Now, on the flip side, I talk to people who love the concept of sitting in their home and knowing that they don't go to the store until the store is ready to see them. So, you know, there's two sides of that. Um, you and I are both in the same camp on the one, but, you know, then I hear the other side and go, you know what? They're smart. If I learn to work within their system, I will be much happier. 
So, that, you know, that's how they deal with that. But I think you're right. The experience is so important. So how do you look at those various touch points? And, and we talk about journey mapping. And do you do, do much in the way of journey mapping and taking a look at every customer touch point along the way? I think it's critical. And, and as, as I mentioned, this is where people are competing. You know, you, you, you win or lose today in, in photo finish victories. And if you want your company to, to win over the competition, I think you have to do this type of thing. And, and what Shep's referring to is sort of mapping out every little touch point and interaction with the organization and, and working to engineer a better experience. I'm going to go one step further, too, in that too often there's another disconnect where the customer experience might be fabulous, but the employee experience is different. Right. And if you really want your, 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 uh, the, the power of your brand to shine through – and it has to be authentic all the way through. It can't be a shiny face of the customer and bad in the back room. So uh, I've well, one one example of that again, not to pick on, on them because I think they're fabulous. A company is Disney. So Disney, if you go to a Disney theme park, it's magical, hence the name. You know, everything is perfect. The hedges are perfect. You'll never see a piece of garbage. Everybody's groomed perfectly, and everyone's beautiful. And it's a spectacular experience. However, if you work at Disney and you have to travel from one side of the park to the other you are instructed to travel in these dark, grimy, underground tunnels. And from what I've heard and seen, they're really just pretty gross. And so to me, I think that that's an inconsistency that could be improved. Again, they're a great company. I have nothing bad to say about them. But I don't think you can treat your customers one way and treat your employees in a different way and expect the, uh, there not to be a problem at some point in the marketplace. Right. The best companies I see treat their employees just as great as their customers, and then everybody wins. That type of care is extended. It becomes universal in their in the core of their being becomes that, as opposed to just putting on a show for a customer. Yeah, and I think the Disney concept is they've really done an effective job, uh, and they want to communicate this really, really uh, to an extreme. And I'm, by the way, I'm not defending Disney. Uh, they should, you know cast members, which is what they call their employees, should never be forced to walk down dark and dingy uh, hallways. But uh, they have a tunnel system underneath the park. And they're actually, you know, um, I've been down there. I, I don't see them as, as dingy or, or dark. But I will say it is almost the polar opposite of what the guest experiences. And they, I believe, want their cast members to experience the polar opposite backstage. They want them to be able to say, okay, I can take off my, and I, this is a, a, a spoil alert. I'm going to tell these kids who are listening, Mickey Mouse is a costume. <laughs> They're going to take off the, the mask, the, the big, huge costumes, and walk around in, in, in half costume. But they, when you walk across that line where you're in front of the guest, which is what they call on stage or front stage, you know, it's time to put on the show. So, uh, but you're right about this. They, they shouldn't be treated one way. As a matter of fact, I have this little concept I call the employee golden rule, and that is to treat the people you work with the way you want the customers treated, if not even better. You set the tone internally because what's happening on the inside is going to be felt on the outside by the customer. So it's just That's a concept. Exactly right. Yep. As always, perfectly well said. That's exactly right. And well, Disney, that may be not the best example. I mean, there are banks that, you know, they tell their employees to treat their customers with delight and, and then they scream at each other in the back room. So the more consistency you can create an experience, both internal and external, 
the better the long-term results will become. A long time ago, I saw a T-shirt, and this is what it reminds me of. You know, I think about the manager who's in the back berating an employee, telling them how lousy they are, and say, and then they say, now go out there and be nice to the customer. And the T-shirt said, the beatings won't stop until your morale gets better. And if you think about it, it is so incongruent. And, and that's... That's what uh, sometimes takes a company down is that incongruency, treating the people internally differently than you want the customer treated. Uh, you know, the best companies in the world of customer service and customer experience, uh, they're very, very successful. They're financially successful. And if you take a look at the best companies that are uh, the best companies to work for, you'll find there's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of crossover uh, where they're the same. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. So, you know, keep that in mind. That's a big business lesson today. Treat the people you work with the way you want the customer treated, that congruency that you're talking about. So very good, very good. We're just about running out of time. Josh, before we leave here, um, any last share, uh, idea that you want to share with us? Any simple idea? Uh, the one thing you want everybody to walk away with, what would it be? Well, it's hard. It's hard to narrow down. Uh, life's work into one thing, but um, I'll just say real quickly about about music because we were talking about it earlier. You know, 15 years ago, the metaphor of leadership was to be a symphony conductor, one person controlling everybody else, play the notes exactly on the page. It's about precision and accuracy. Today, I would encourage listeners to think about themselves as a jazz musician. Whether you like jazz or not, it's about taking responsible risks. It's about uh, creating and innovating in real time. It's small teams trading off the leadership role, and lots and lots of experimentation. There's an old fun thing in jazz. If you play a real bad note, you play a clunker, just play it twice more and call it art. And I think <laughs> that's the same thing we can do in business. You know, get comfortable making some mistakes. It's okay to, 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 to have a couple setbacks because ultimately those mistakes are the things that lead to breakthroughs over time. Right. Improvise, stay in key, and as long as you stay in key, you can hit any note you want. And even if it's the wrong note, you come back to it. I love that. Hit it three times, call it art. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, we're listening to Josh Linkner talk to us about reinvention, talking about the customer experience, sharing with us about his latest and greatest concept, Fuel Leadership, which is coming to a city near you. Josh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for spending the time with us. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you know how I always like to end the show, reminding you to always be amazing. Well, this has been Amazing Business Radio, and we have been talking with the amazing Josh Linkner. Listen to what he says. Listen to what we talked about today. And tomorrow, you'll be even more amazing than you are today. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.